This episode of Bushless Breakaway is brought to you by our Patreon. We have hit 100 Patreons. That is absolutely insane. Can't thank you guys enough for the support. And also, this podcast is brought to you by EmpiricalDesigns.net. If you ever need any design work or any art or anything done for marketing, you should contact Nick at EmpiricalDesigns.net. He's the man. He's did our t-shirts, which are shipping soon. Love you guys. Interesting podcast today. A lot of, a lot of murky waters in Rangerstown. Got a good interview, got some good stories. Let's get this thing going. Hey, Bushwick Breakout fans, welcome to another week of the Bushwick Away. I am a chipmunk on cocaine, aka Ryan Mead. Greg, say hello. Ah, it is. It's warm again, Ryan. You know what that means? What does that mean? Sundresses? It's spider in the window season. Oh, you know what you get from this podcast when you tune in? You get three things. You get great Ryan Greg banter. Great to mediocre, sorry. You get to know the time we're recording, 5.53 p.m. on a Monday night. And you get spider updates from Greg's window. Spider updates. There are a lot of dead, like, mosquito-looking things already in the window. I feel like... Stay hungry. Uh, Yeah, yeah. They're going to... It's bulk season, baby. (laughs) Summer bulk. Today's episode uh, has a lot, surprisingly a lot of news, right? There's usually around this time, I'd say we'd be covering playoffs. We're not doing that. So uh, some James Dolan comments. We're going to talk about the Booch interview that is extremely candid. Uh, some players that have come up in in possible Ranger rumor signing that aren't Ilya Kovalchuk. And uh, and then some other nonsense. So let's let's start right off the bat with, I guess the Dolan comments would be the nice, the opener. Because they were surprising. You and I got to talk about this last week on a personal podcast, a little bit of plug for the Patreon, uh, with our good friend Eric. And then, I mean, Dolan coming out and starting to be human? Is that, he's usually not, he's usually a villain. Like, he's a super villain. But in this time, when he came out and he was like, you know, we're doing the rebuild the right way. We're going to find coaches that bring sort of this toughness. Didn't use the word grit to the team apparently wanted to ship or gave gave the offer to Hank to leave town. Now, that's a controversial opinion. I know we'll get into that. But where do you stand on Dolan now after all these comments? Oh, we should also mention that we do have an interview on this week's podcast talking about coaches with an emphasis on development. Scott Wheeler from The Athletic joined me. Just one you. Of us, one of us showed up for work. Just you. Uh, yeah, I, I, I t- we talked with Scott. Um, you talk with Scott, not we. Does Scott, Scott has a phenomenal Sheldon Keefe story that I had no idea about that you're going to want to hang around for. Sheldon I, is the coach for the minor league or the AHL affiliate of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Right, the Toronto Marlies. Um, but Scott drops a lot of knowledge, drops a hell of a story, and is worth waiting around regardless of whatever the fuck we talk about the rest of this podcast. Now, yeah, or fast forward. Um, James Dolan. James Dolan, man. Such a villain for such a long time, and it just feels like he didn't need to come out and do this interview, and he there there had to be a particular reason behind it. Here's the thing: James Dolan is viewed as a villain in Nick, Nick, Nick. more more Nick circles than Ranger circles because fans just see him as a nincompoop. He, he comes off as an idiot. He's a guy that plays the kazoo with a band that opens for the Eagles. Like he he doesn't seem like a real human being. And then he sits down with Larry Brooks and. Not only is he revealed to be a real human being, he might actually be smart. There might actually be some knowledge. It's so it's you. so hard to say we should go that far when talking about James Dolan. But those were some of the smartest comments any owner has ever said of any team that I follow. 
Isn't that strange? And it was so strange. out of nowhere. It was right. Like, I I don't know what I don't know what motivated James Dolan to actually sit down with Larry Brooks and drop this knowledge, but it turned out to be a great look for him. He comes out smelling like a rose. He said all the right things. Said not just that the Rangers are going to see this rebuild through, but admitted the fact that look, this team might actually be pretty decent next year. I'm not saying it's going to be a definite playoff team, but we're going to be good enough to hang around the fringes, which is what you and what well, I have thought mm-hmm. since the jump. I didn't know if this rebuild was going to take two years. I've always thought the Rangers were going to be competitive next year. And again, the difference between being competitive and a playoff team is competitive will fight for a playoff spot, but by no means are is anyone trying to guarantee one. It It could be a quick rebuild, but Dolan also said, you know what? This rebuild will take how long it needs to take. We're not rushing it. There's no need to rush it. And then he also said stuff about how the Rangers have identified. Wow. Hello. Hey, what's up? The Rangers Rangers have identified players. They see as franchise players. Some of them will be available this off season, Eric Carlson and John Tavares. We don't know. That wasn't Dolan saying we're definitely going to get them, but that was also Dolan saying, there won't be a prohibitive cost if we decide those are the players we want. And if you're a Ranger fan, I don't know what else you want to hear from your owner. Nothing. I mean, it was the most out of nowhere. Like, what was his motivation to do this? I mean, season ticket sales? That, that's my only... I, I don't know. I really loses, don't know. I don't... You know, I know I for a fact he loses so much... For a fact. I mean, just basic business. They lose so much money for not having playoff games there. So much fucking money. Yeah. Um... It's there. There are no amount of Billy Joel concerts that'll make up the gate the Rangers aren't getting from not being in the playoffs. Uh, it's and it look and yeah, you don't need us to say the Rangers played shit hockey the end of the year. It's not like they were exactly selling out the Garden to cap off the season. Uh, you also mentioned the Hank comments. You called them controversial. I disagree. I would have thought it more disrespectful if the Rangers didn't go up to Hank and be like, "Dude, you're 36." You're playing some of the best hockey you've played in quite a while. We're not making the playoffs this year. There's no guarantee we make them next year. Do you want to go somewhere and chase a cup? Like the the Rangers did the right thing by giving it to Hank. First of all, they they always had to give it to Hank. They've structured that contract so that if Hank gets traded, it's Hank who's deciding to get traded. Right. It's the full no trade clause. But I I, I would have found it more shocking. I didn't find that tidbit shocking at all it honestly would have been more shocking if the rangers didn't approach hank in any way shape or form and just and, i mean it's, it's still controversial to be like i guess you, i see the way you're saying it where you, they go up to him like hey listen you know you signed that contract do you want to go play for a contender you have the full right to do that but it to me it came off more as you know this rebuild is probably going to outlast your ability to play hockey at a high level no, I don't. I really don't think that's what it is at all. It, the Rangers didn't ask Henrik Lundqvist to be traded. The Rangers asked Henrik Lundqvist if he wanted to be traded. I think there's a very important distinction between those two sentences. The Rangers weren't shopping Henrik Lundqvist. Before they ever picked up a phone to call a general manager to see if any team had an interest in Henrik, they went to Henrik. And if Henrik said, yeah, you know what? I got two good years left on my legs. I'd rather do it somewhere where I can win a cup. The Rangers would have been like, you tell us where, and we'll make a trade work with that team. That's not what the the Rangers, they just wanted to make sure Henrik was in. And once Henrik said he was in, there was no more conversation about it. And there shouldn't have been. Because if Henrik wants to stay, he's going to stay. 
And that's what he wants. So I, I, I don't see it as the Rangers think that Henrik Lundqvist only has so many years left. I mean, it's, it's a fact that Henrik Lundqvist only has so many years left. It's the Rangers want to make sure Henrik feels like he's doing everything he wants to do during his hockey career. And if, and, and if that is just, I want to play my entire career in New York, then the Rangers are going to make that happen. It, they just wanted to make sure that if Henrik had a burning desire to get traded to, say, any playoff team that is in desperate need of a goalie, the Flyers, which I think I would have flown thrown up a billion times just, over. Just saying that makes me sick. But whatever playoff team needed a goalie, if Hank wanted to go to that playoff team, if he thought that that team had a legitimate chance of going to the Cup and the missing link for raising the Cup was him, the Rangers were going to do that. And now that Hank said he doesn't want to do that, we're never going to talk about it because Hank doesn't want to do that. Or, one other side note, it could be laying the seeds for next season at the deadline. You know, Hank, we talked about this before. Are you sure? I mean, I'm sure they'll ask him again. I think it's just, I, it's just I, due I, diligence. I, 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 I don't think it makes any sense for the Rangers to trade a one-year-older Henrik Lundqvist next year when they're going to be even closer to being done with the rebuild. I, if you trade Henrik Lundqvist, you're starting the rebuild overall. Over I don't again. think they're going to trade him. But I think they will ask him again. And I think I don't think they'll ask him again. I think think the conversation's over. I think he will say no, just the same he did this time, and play out his career in New York. I will say I will take it one step further and say if they ask him again, then it becomes disrespectful. Okay. You don't you don't you don't ask Henrik Lundqvist twice if he wants to get traded. You ask him once and then he says no, then you don't ask him again. If he comes to you and then says he wants to get traded, that's different. You don't ask Henrik Lundqvist twice if he wants to get traded. No, probably not. But the whole Dolan out of nowhere Knicks Rangers interview was a pleasant surprise. Um, it's weird to say I'm on the side with Dolan because that's a person who's been the butt of every single joke for New York Sports Radio for how many years now? Is there a bigger scapegoat? Not, I mean, not even a scapegoat. A bigger blame to be placed on anyone other than James Dolan in the last 10 years in New York sports? Uh, the Wilpons have a call. I mean, how many times do we close, have to get the mentor cheap? I, it's close. It's very close. I mean, they also you guys also went to a World Series, and yeah, and you forget what the conversations were like for that team in July before they traded for Johannes Cespedes, and then you forgot what the conversations for that team were like in November when Cespedes was a free agent. Yeah, and then you forgot what those conversations were like the next I, year. I didn't forget because I'm very close with you. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like you forgot because Fred Wilpon gets flamed more often, I think, than Dolan because people with Dolan just say he's a dumbass. People every day get reminded that Fred Wilpon is cheap. That's a totally fair assessment. Yeah, those are probably the big two. I don't think anyone else really gets it gets it really bad in New York sports media. Just those guys. Let's uh, let's move on to the Bushnevich interview. This was candid. I have it open right now in, in front of me from a uh, Google Translator from a Russian website. Um, so you know, apparently he missed his dog in Russia. That's really hot news. But the real important stuff comes when he starts talking about how Elaine Vigneault really didn't speak to him. Or any other players? He said he would say stuff like, fight for the puck. But that would be really about it. The most telling thing is, Booch, if Booch felt this way, you know there are other players on the roster who feel this way. Where Booch felt like if he made one mistake, he was going to get fucked. And that's, that's not a way you can have any player on your roster playing. Your players can't be afraid to make a mistake. That's playing not to lose versus playing to win. That that's terrible. And Booch, no, no chance Booch is the only one. JT Miller must have felt the same way. 
I uh, Kevin Shattenkirk must have felt the same way. And these, it, it's terrible. It's just, it's so. But it's both okay. refreshing. It's both refreshing and disturbing to finally hear a player say this. It, it is, and for many different reasons. But there was a point in time on this podcast where I defended, and maybe not defended, but classified Elaine Vigneault as a player's coach. Uh, uh, it seems like he's a certain player's coach. Who? Veterans. That's it. That's because, it. Veterans and non-goalies. Because it looks like Bushnevich got the shaft. I mean, I'm not going to qu- uh, read all the direct quotes here, but the gist of it is uh, he felt like the lines were randomly generated every single night. He, uh, If he felt like if he made one mistake, he would be benched or his ice time would be greatly reduced. And that he didn't really have a great relationship with Liam Mignot. And it's just like, what? I mean, it wasn't, I, wasn't surprising for Buchnevich, but this has to go further than him. This is the second offseason we've gotten quotes from Buchnevich that emphasis how he's a guy that thrives on confidence. And if you want him to be playing at his best, his confidence needs to be high. And twice in a row now, we've seen examples of how Elaine Vino was torpedoing Pavel Buchnevich's confidence. Now, if you want to turn this on its head and say, well, Buchnevich just needs to be a little bit stronger intestinally and take some onus on himself to do some stuff. Sure. Yeah, I guess that's fair. But that's also asking someone to pick up a boulder because it's in their way. If you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, you got to get out of that. You just got to get out. And Buchnevich might be responsible for the rock, but the hard place was Elaine Vino. And if that, it was a non-working relationship is what Buchnevich is telling us. It it was and it's just so weird to see to see that I I take it back it's not weird at all but I just thought Elaine Mignot would be a kind of coach that would sit with you and be straight and be like here's what you have to do here's what I expect of you but supposedly like I just can't imagine being a coach of a team and not attempting to have a relationship with my players it's just fucking I, mind-boggling to me and you know if I hear one more person Rick Carpinello say that Elaine Vino was not fired because of player development. You, I don't know what else to tell you. It, it couldn't be more fucking clear that Elaine Vino was let go because his player development is ass. I'm not saying it might not be, it might not be 50% of the reason why Elaine Vino was fired, but it feels like the majority of the reason why Elaine Vino was fired is because he cannot coach young players. I, I can't think of, I can't think of a more obvious reason Beyond that, it, he clearly doesn't have a working relationship with young players. He either expects too much or he just doesn't interact with them. It, there's, it, there's no middle ground. But I, I, it also felt – it feels like I, and I get this vibe from this interview. And again, I'm not I'm, – I'm taking Buchnevich's words and making them my own. But it, it feels like LA Video had a thing against Russians or that the, the league has a thing against uh, Russian players. And it, it certainly feels that way from Elaine Vigneault. I mean, we kind of saw it with Amestikov, right? Like, just very briefly. But- well, there, there's definitely a stigma on Russian players. But, I, I mean, let's, let's remember that Alex Ovechkin is one of the top players of this generation. Nikita Kucherov is doing incredible things in Tampa Bay. But there's definitely always been a Russian stigma dating back to when Russians started coming over after the fall of the Soviet Union. It's always been there. It, it's... It's kind of like how there's still a stigma about um, Dominican baseball players as well. Some of it, it's a little different in in baseball terms because I'm sure some of it is even darker and 
rooted in racism for some people. Absolutely. But there's there are stigmas about certain foreign players. In hockey, it's Russians. In baseball, it's Dominicans. They're not fair. They don't apply. They shouldn't apply to everyone. They shouldn't apply to anyone. You should be able to view any player, not from where he's coming from, but just who that player is. I don't give a shit if they're from Moscow, Iowa, or Moscow, Russia. It doesn't make a fucking difference to me. It shouldn't make a difference to anyone. But there's a stigma. There's a stigma attached to Russian players. And for whatever reason, I, I, it would be irresponsible of me to say that Elaine Vigneault has a thing against Russians, that he's biased against Russians. At the same time, it looks like Elaine Vigneault has a thing against Russians. Yeah, it like, just, it just I feels what, that I don't way. know what else to say there. Like, he wouldn't, he wouldn't talk to Buchnevich. Buchnevich admitted that the locker room got better for him when Nemestikov and Georgiev uh, were both in there. But we also saw Nemestikov get yanked around and underperform while he was in New York. He's, of course, those aren't the only two people to underperform under Elaine Vigneault. So it's not just an, a Russian-only thing. But it definitely feels like Elaine Vigneault doesn't know how to interact with Russians in his locker room. It doesn't feel that way at all. And again, we make – the Rangers are so buttoned up. And I had a mini Twitter rant this week about how uh, it's just so – frustrating that the NHL is so buttoned up in the Rangers. I have said this multiple times, but we make all our assumptions just from watching the games. And just just the few games I got to watch Nemesikov play, it was like, wow, he's fucking getting buried. And he's not getting highlighted at all. And it just felt like... I wonder who else it is, other than Buchnevich, that, that got buried and didn't get ice time or didn't get the coaching they needed because Elaine Vigneault was like, I'm just not doing it. Like, who... I- I, I, think, I think JT Miller is an obvious one. Um, he was yanked around, not as much as Buchnevich, but yanked around and put up and down that lineup, put in positions for him to fail as opposed for him to succeed. And yes, he's playing with Stamkos and Kucherov right now. Yeah, anyone playing with those two guys is going to look better. But Miller's also just being allowed to breathe. They're just, John Cooper is letting Miller do what JT Miller can do, and they make up for it on the back end with the people that he's playing with on the ice. He's one, he's one guy where it, it, it looked obvious that he was being misused by Elaine Vigneault. I think it's safe to say Jimmy Vc fell victim to Elaine Vigneault. I don't think we ever saw the full potential Vc had to offer while he was here in New York. And again, he's a guy that could still be here in New York, but I'm certainly under the impression he's going to get traded. I, I, at the same time, I think Kevin Hayes somehow became a, a better hockey player under Elaine Vigneault. He took his game to a different level. The thing that's frustrating about Kevin Hayes is we all saw him taking his game to that level. And then he wasn't given more responsibility, which his new level that he achieved warranted. And I, so that's like a catch 22 where Kevin Hayes definitely got better under Elaine Vigneault. And then Elaine Vigneault capped where that potential could go. So you could almost look at that from either one of those two perspectives. And they said Elaine Vigneault got fired. You can't talk about Elaine Vigneault anymore. Where it, look, <laughs> until the Rangers hire a new coach and that coach either starts saying good things or starts doing bad things, we're going to go back to our source material, which is Elaine Vigneault. It's just, it just very unreasonable, everything he did towards the end. I just don't – to the quote, he didn't really talk to anybody, gives me like a whole different perspective on the Elaine Vigneault era. I, I'm sure, you know how when teams are hot, that's not actually how good they are. And when teams are in a cold streak, that's not actually how bad they are. Yes. They're usually somewhere in the middle. I'm sure when Pavel Buchnevich says he didn't talk to anybody, he doesn't actually mean he didn't talk to anybody. Maybe Buchnevich says, is saying he got such a cold shoulder, it felt like 
Elaine Vino wasn't communicating well with the players, when in reality, Vino could have been chummy chummy with someone like Rick Nash or another veteran in that locker room, Ryan McDonough, Mark Stahl, Dan Girardi. Those those could have been Elaine Vino's guys. But I what what I what I get out of Buchnevich's comments is if you're not Elaine Vino's guy, he's almost going to ignore you. And if if your coach is ignoring not just one of your up and coming star players, if your coach is ignoring anyone in the locker room, what are you expecting to get out of that team? But your job as a coach is to do that. That's why it's so crazy to me. And I guess it's because I worked in sports psychology and I always thought that's a really important part of the game. Other than developing the strategy and, and the way you're going to be coaching and your style is the giving the confidence to your guys and building the chemistry and creating a culture that matters. And the fact that that wasn't part of any of his plan is not mind-blowing, but shocking? St- staggering? Here's one, know, here's one of the quotes. I don't, know, I don't know if it's either of those things because this team, this team didn't play well all season. And then when their backs were up against the wall, they folded. So maybe that toughness and grit that Dolan kind of mentioned or brought up and or Jeff Gordon brought up is part of talking on the coaching staff. It's 100%. It, okay, it's not 100% on the coaching staff, but this is something we've talked about before. When, when they say the Rangers lack toughness and grit, they're not saying the Rangers lack Tanner Glass. They're saying the guys stopped fighting. And not, I'm, not saying, I'm not also saying they didn't stop dropping the gloves. I'm saying the compete wasn't there on a nightly basis. And yeah, a part of that is on the players. The players should always want to fight and play hard in every game that they're in. At the same time, if the coaching staff is giving up on a roster, what are you expecting that roster to give you on a nightly basis? At the end of the day, you're not just playing for yourselves, but you're playing for the coaching staff. And if, you, if you're buried in the lineup or if you don't trust the coaching staff to allow you to play to the best of your ability, or if the coaching staff has put you in such a mental corner that you're playing scared, you're playing that you're afraid your ice time is going to vanish, it's on the coaching staff. you got to make a change behind the bench. And the Rangers were smart enough to realize that and do it. The quote exactly here is, is, is as follows. Uh, Google Translate, of course. Uh, the question was, how did you build relations with the head coach? Yes, he did not talk to the players. Sometimes to me at the meetings, he talked about the fight for the puck, but that's it. Once I, once I was on the Rotsum, Rostrum? I guess roster. I'm assuming it means roster. Once I was on the roster, although I did not understand the reason, maybe it was Rostrum, I'm not sure. There was a strange moment if the team conceded then the third period, I would play a lot. If the team was winning, then I sat in the bench. That's strange. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It never made any sense. We, I don't know how many times this podcast we've talked about Pavel Buchnevich's ice time. but uh, it, it was a big time, theme throughout the whole season. It, it never made much sense. It, uh, it, it definitely didn't make any sense towards the end of the year when Buchnevich should have been getting as much ice time as anyone because, again, the results of the game became minimal. And it became more important to see what individual players were able to do on the ice. It, it, Elaine, there were plenty of reasons and plenty of good reasons why Elaine Vino is no longer this New York Rangers head coach. Pavel Buchnevich saying the things that he said, both refreshing to see and alarming that it took this long to make a change behind the bench. The other thing that I, I, I agree with you, and I think the other thing that was kind of alarming, not alarming, but was interesting to read uh, from this interview was that they had no idea the rebuild was sort of coming even after the letter and JT Miller had to get on a taxi after the plane to immediately go back to a plane and fly back. Um, and he found he, no one knew and he found out through the Wi-Fi on the plane. What that sucks, man. 
But, I mean, you're in a better place now. You're obviously having a great time in the Lightning. Congratulations on beating the Devils this week, who shit on us on the scoreboard for no yeah, reason. I, yeah, I don't know. Well, who cares? <laughs> no one cares. That. It, no one. Well, people care. I don't know why. But they why? Do, like, why, you, why, why do you care? But that, at the same time, I don't think the Rangers went into the trade deadline thinking they were going to trade JT Miller. No, I think I that's think just was, something that happened. I don't think he was ever a rumor at all. No, it. I, the, I mean, he was in a rumor as because you had people like us saying at some point the Rangers were going to have to try. They're going to have to decide between Miller and Hayes. Like that, that has always been the conversation. Um, but I don't think the Rangers went into the trade deadline saying to themselves, our plan is to trade JT Miller. He, no player was off the table. If the right offer came along for any player, the Rangers were going to move him. Uh, and the right offer came for JT Miller. So they moved him. But I, I, it, it's tough for JT because that, that sort of thing happens. But that, that's kind of just sports. That's just the business of sports that we could do. Yeah, that's, that, that, that is just what it is. I, I think the Rangers would have been perfectly happy for JT Miller to still be on their roster and for him to continue to be a chip for them to use coming into the draft. But they got a package they liked. Uh, I, I have zero complaints about the return that we got from the Tampa Bay Lightning for McDonough and Miller. So the Rangers made the move. Let's talk about some of the rumored players for this week. Oh, actually, one more be- piece of news. Man, I'm going to miss you, DeArnay. It's going to be really tough. Uh, it's it's tough. Though, as as I wrote today, the only thing that it clarifies is it, it really does sound like there was just no interest for him at the trade deadline. Because no player... No player would make the decision to sign in the KHL before the offseason even starts if there was legitimate NHL interest for them, unless they were Russian. They are not Russian. So I, I get the sense that no 30 teams did not even want to give up a sixth-round draft choice for David DeHarnay. It's just and, too much. And now he's going to Russia. They'd rather take the lottery spot. Makes sense. Uh, listen, I'm sure you've got to – Got to make a living somehow. Russia might better be the way. Well, yeah, and it it it, it makes sense that Gordon now couldn't trade him. It still doesn't make any sense that Elaine Vino was putting him in the lineup every night. No, it does not. <laughs> I I just he was a signing that was a depth signing that we needed because we had no centers at the time. Now we have a wealth and we have no idea what to do with them. If David DeHarnay was deployed as he should have been when he was signed, which is fourth line center, some upline up. Upswing, up. Uh, I don't know what the fucking word is I'm looking if for. If he was like some, some high, high, high upside, high upside scoring, cool, yeah, cool guy, upside, who can upside play scoring well. on your fourth line, a guy who that can maybe good. put ten to fifteen goals in, playing ten minutes a night. If if DeHarnay was used in that respect, he would have been fine. But instead, our head coach put him on the second power play unit. When Mika Zibanejad got hurt, he was our number one center, and these were. <laughs> can we just talk about that real quick? They were idiotic to see. Day Harday was our number season. one center for part of, for part of the season. Our number one center oh, can now not get an NHL contract and is going to Russia the... because that's Elaine Vigneault. Imagine if your resume said, I was the number one center for the New York Rangers and no other team, every team was like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> no one cares. That's fucking unbelievable. There is God, a... do I miss Elaine Vigneault? Let me tell you. You can't. I have that uh, that really sad Sarah McLaughlin song playing in my head. Anyway, um, Slava Voinov. <laughs> Voinov. You really suck with names, man. A Slava Voinov. Do you watch hockey? I do. I don't know if I you watched do. the playoffs this weekend, actually, um, which I was mentioning to you. Did you? I didn't think so. Um, I did. Wa- Am I, is it required reading? I don't think it is. It's not. I watched, for some reason, I wanted to hate myself, 
We'll get back to Slava in a second. Wanted to hate myself, and I watched the Penguins-Flyers game. Uh, I gotta say, the Philly crowd, although full of assholes, was banging. And it made me miss playoff hockey in a way I wasn't ready to feel. It was just like the excitement in the. I mean, they got destroyed after. It, it was. I turned it on. It was already like a pretty high scoring. Then the Philly went up to four three, or Philly went up four two. Pittsburgh comes back and scores two. It becomes a real game. And then I'm like sitting there like, oh man, I miss this feeling. But if I'm a Flyers fan, I absolutely hate how this is gonna go. And it exactly went exactly how you think it would. Pittsburgh came back and kicked the shit out of them. And Sidney Crosby, by the way, good at hockey. In case you're wondering. Still a giant bitch. Yeah, still a bitch. But I, it makes me miss playoff hockey in a way I wasn't ready, really, for. Now that, I mean, I'm rooting for Tampa Bay to win. Obviously, I want their first-round draft pick. Uh, they have a lot of former Rangers that I, I still feel strongly for. I would love for McDonough to get a ring. I I, I even like JT Moore a lot. And, and man, Dan Girardi getting a ring would be real nice. So I hope they end up winning, and I, I'll root for them. But it just it's just such a difference when your team's not in. It's like this drug addiction that you no longer can have is that too no, strong I'm, no i'm fine yeah i know you're fine i'm not okay like <laughs> i know you're you're perfectly fine you're like yeah the mets are back we're doing really well like this season was sort of a a shithole i think putting it lightly right and for me just like getting the taste getting that little taste putting a little bit on the tongue as i'm watching i'm like fuck man i miss playoff hockey and it just brings it, i get the flashbacks but the flashbacks are never good, by the way. They're never like to they're never like to step on in Game Seven. It's always like the terrible moments. I don't know. I, maybe I don't miss it because these playoffs have also just been ass. They've been good. There hasn't been like one game where I've where I thought to myself, "Oh, wish I watched that one." They've all been bad. Oh, uh, yeah, there have been some games you should have watched, especially the fucking Blue Jackets uh, overtime games versus the Capitals because they've the, all the been. Blue, Blue Jackets Capitals is the only series that seems. Half decent. I, I've watched the last. I've watched three of the last four overtimes, and they've all been amazing. Yeah, I'm not. I don't feel like I'm missing much of anything. Overtime playoff hockey is the best. It's just the greatest. There's not there. It, there's very few things better in sports. Yeah, I don't know. I'm fine. Why are you so like Dutch lots about this? Because I'm fine. I, uh, I I don't miss the playoffs. I when the Rangers are in it, I'm happy. When the Rangers aren't in it, it's a thing. I don't know. It's just. It's a thing. I don't care. Like it just Why don't you it doesn't care. I I just I just don't. There's just other things going on. I, there are other things that captivate my attention. I care way too much. I mean, I knew this team wasn't going to make the playoffs like 6 months ago, came to terms with that totally fine. But now that it's around and I can watch, I can see the intensity and just how much the game changes and I'm sitting here like, man, I really wish I could root for the Rangers. But then I think like would it really be worth it to get swept by the Penguins in four games? And the answer is no. So, I don't know. I just, it just, when the Rangers are in it, there's nothing better. When the Rangers aren't in it, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what to compare it to. It's just, it's just very bland. I don't have an, I don't have an interest to sit down and watch the Bruins play the Maple Leafs. It just doesn't do anything for me. Right. It's not like the baseball playoffs. I actually don't even know how you feel about baseball playoffs. Will you watch other baseball playoff games that are not non-Mets? I mean, I'll t- I, you know I didn't watch a single game of the World Series last year. I do know that, and that blows my mind because it was really good. But it was yeah. really good, but it was also on really late at night, and who works really early hours? You. Um, I, I care when the Yankees are in it because there are just so many Yankee fans that start puffing their chest out and getting all homery, but 
like were Devils fans bothering me when they were in the playoffs? No, I was happy. I was happy for our friend Jeff. Would it bother me if the Islanders were in it? I don't think I'll ever have to worry about that because when the fuck are they ever going to be in the playoffs? No. Um, yeah, well, the Flyers. Don't worry about it. The Flyers don't register on like I refuse to acknowledge their existence unless they're playing the Rangers or if the like if the Flyers beat the Penguins. It bothered me how many people were rooting for the Flyers to beat the Penguins. That was weird, right? I I, I hate the under Penguins. what circumstance do we want the Flyers to ever feel joy and happiness? Zero. Yeah, None. I, I hate the Penguins, but I hate the Flyers more. Yeah, it's not even well, close. It's, like, clo- it's close for me. Do I, want, do I want the Penguins to win the Cup? No. Do I want the Flyers to even win one playoff series? Fuck no. No. Definitely root for the Penguins over the Flyers. Um, the, the teams out West, while fun, I don't know. I'm not going out of my way to make time for Winnipeg or even Nashville. It, that series is going to be insane. If there was one series I would go out of my way to watch, it would be Jets Predators. But I don't know, man. It's just. I don't know. I, I, I don't know either, Greg. No I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, there's no, there's no team in hockey who I would get as much joy of losing in the first round as I would the Washington Nationals. Like, I would watch a Washington National playoff series just to make sure their fans are suffering. But I don't think there's a fan base in the NHL who I feel that way about who I consider a realistic threat. I find again, myself – The I, Islanders would probably be that team but I don't consider them a realistic threat. I did find myself rooting point. for the Capitals, and that kind of felt weird. No, I am definitely pulling for the Blue I, The Blue Jackets are winning the next two games, and it's going to be hilarious when Elaine Vigneault oh gets God. coaching the Capitals next year. This. Let's talk about uh, Slava Voinov. Voinov. What is happening to me? As if there was some sort of mystery. Um, so, Tom, give me the download on him. Uh, this is simple. Then this is short. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this. He doesn't belong in the North America, let alone the NHL. That man's a disgrace to mankind. He he's an embarrassment, and he should feel shame. And he, and wants he doesn't. To, he wants to come back to the NHL. He beat he beat his wife to the point of where she was an inch of death, and yeah. that just doesn't have that doesn't have a place anywhere. No, like forget forget just professional sports. If if you well, are no, that you kind can, of, I mean, you can play in the NFL. I mean, you'll be fine. If you are that kind of man, you don't really deserve any kind of dignity or respect because you have none. If you're willing to do that, you're, you're just, you're scum. You're, you're worse than scum. You're, you're whatever's below scum. You are runny, shitty diarrhea of a human being. I, if the Rangers sign him, we're going to, we're going to have, I'm going to have problems rooting for this team. Yeah. And I know uh, that like, that's an I easy mean, thing to, to say. The Tony D'Angelo thing is a whole different beast than this. And, there's a difference between a racist and someone that beats the shit out of their their wife. Yeah, a racist is a bad person, but I, I I don't know that that's that's a slippery slope. You can't really compare the two. So let's just put them on their own islands and deal with them individually. If if any other ranger beat the shit out of his wife like Slava Voinov did, I wouldn't want him again. Not not just on the Rangers, not just not on the Rangers, but not in the league. There's, yeah. there's no place for that in society. But apparently five teams are interested, which is mind-blowing. Um, it, it is interesting. to. At the end of the day, the sad thing is there will, become an, there will be an NHL team who they just – teams only care about wins and losses when it really comes down to it. And there will be an NHL team one day that views Slava Voinov as a good enough defender to help their team win. And they will make an offer to him. Uh, I hope the Rangers are never that team. But there's also – a thought that his agent could just be using 
these other five NHL teams to get a richer contract in Russia. It's very possible. He could just be seeking an extension and a pay raise to keep him in Russia. And he's using the possibility of going to the NHL as the vehicle to get that raise. That could be it. Let's go to our five-star questions. I said we had three before the podcast, but I really, we have two. You don't want to go to our interview, huh? No, you want to come, you want to come back and do five-star? I think we'll do five-star then interview and then come back and do nonsense. Yeah, whatever. All right, let's go to the interview. <laughs> Scott Wheeler, The Athletic. It tells Toronto. us all about Sheldon Keefe, more than you thought you wanted to know about Sheldon Keefe, and has a... You're about to learn more about Sheldon Keefe than you were prepared for. Let me, let me just put it that way. We'll come back to some five-star questions. This is not to get out of here. Transition. So. And we're back, uh, or at least I'm back. Ryan is MIA. He'll tell you where he is later. But I got Scott Wheeler on the line with me. Scott Wheeler, uh, writer for The Athletic. He covers the Maple Leafs and the Marlies. Scott, say hello. Hi, how are you, man? I'm doing good, buddy. Um, well, let's let's get right to it. The Rangers, we have a coaching opening, and maybe the hottest coaching candidate in the entire NHL is currently the Marley's head coach down in AHL, and that would be Sheldon Keefe. We've heard a lot of rumors about him. I've read a lot from you about him. Um, let's 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 focus on him. And was this an overnight success story regarding Sheldon Keefe or when he was first hired by the Marlies? Were there rumblings that hey this this guy might be something special long term no i think there were definitely rumblings he was just fresh off of uh basically turning an ohl franchise around in a three-year span he brought uh the sioux greyhounds really a two and a half year span and he brought the sioux greyhounds from being a team that was really struggling and and really sort of um they didn't have an identity, if you will, and and he created one for them along with Kyle Dubas, who is now also with the Leafs. And um, they they finished his third year at the top of their conference. They had arguably the best team in junior hockey in Canada. They didn't end up winning the title, but they had a historic season, at least offensively, and scored a record number of goals and. There was just a lot that went really well for them. And then even before that, he had for about a decade, almost a decade, owned a junior hockey team at, at sort of a level below the OHL. Um, and, and they'd had historic success. They'd won, I believe, six titles. And um, yeah, I mean, he has a, a very dark history as well, as far as what happened before he was a head coach and his playing career and a lot of controversy surrounded him at the time. But he kind of turned that around pretty quickly when he was given a sh- sort of a second chance in the hockey world. And um, he hasn't looked back. I mean, the last three years for the Marlies have really been the best three years they've ever had. And this year, again, they finished first in the league and they're going to have home ice for the entirety of the playoffs. And for good chunks of the season, it looked like they were going to set a points percentage record in the AHL history. So uh, they were on pace to be a historic team this year and they didn't quite get there, but, uh, still one of the best teams we've ever seen. There are obviously, I mean, the Maple Leafs have done a fantastic job of producing talent the last couple of years. Are there players in your mind that Keith has had such a profound impact on that maybe their stock has gone from just a middling prospect, might be a, a floater as terms as between the NHL and the AHL into someone that is commanding serious ice time? Yeah, there are at least two that really stand out. Zach Hyman was a player who Keith fell in love with when he was with the Marlies, really tried to promote and, and became a huge backer for him. Hyman was a kid who didn't score a ton in the AHL and 
probably didn't look, at least on a stat sheet, like the kind of player who should be promoted to the NHL and who, who should stick around in the NHL, but he did, and obviously he's been a staple with Austin Matthews ever since. So that that's one player who, who really was sort of a, a Sheldon Keith baby, if you will, and um, Keith falls in love. I think it can be sort of a, a blessing and a curse, but he does fall in love with certain players, and Hyman was one of those guys just because of how responsible he is away from the puck, and he really believed that even if he wasn't going to produce a ton offensively, that he could be a factor defensively at the NHL level, and that has proven to be the case. And then the other is a more recent one, but Andreas Janssen has been basically since day one, since he left Sweden and came to North America, has been a favorite of Keith's, and uh, he has done a ton of work with him on systems and sort of bringing his game to that next level. And, and I mean, we've seen it this year. He had this incredible year in the AHL where he was named to one of the end of season all-star teams, even though he missed a good chunk of the year when he was promoted to the Leafs. And uh, he's been great for the Leafs ever since he's playing in kind of a limited role, but I, I fully expect once James Van Riemsdyk and company probably leave this summer, that Janssen will be a big part of what the Leafs do moving forward. Playing style was a big issue with Elaine Vigneault. Uh, I don't know how much of it you got of it in Toronto. You have your own problems to worry about on any given day with Mike Babcock and everything he's trying to do. What is Sheldon Keefe's ideal system like? What what would any NHL team hiring him expect to see the team doing on a nightly basis? I think the biggest thing that Keefe has figured out is how to create offense. And everywhere he has gone, his teams have scored a ton. And it's not just a matter of personnel. He's been fortunate to have a lot of gifted players. I'm thinking William Nylander and Connor Brown and Kasperi Kapanen and the likes. But above and beyond that, you talk to any coach who's coached against him. You talk to any coach who's coached alongside him. And one thing they'll tell you is that Keith has this brilliant mind for detail and this brilliant mind for systems and the ice. And he sees the play developing in really unique ways and is able to not only see that for himself, but communicate it to his players and really teach his players how to find open ice and uh, how to get into areas where they can score. And they do a lot of one-on-one skill work in Toronto where players are taught how to sort of undercut into the middle and gain inside lanes and attack the net. And uh, they've just done a brilliant job of that in particular. And I think that's the big thing that stands out is how good they are at even strength at generating offense. His power play has never sort of translated that. And the power play in Toronto has kind of struggled in spurts for the last three years, and it hasn't really been a strength of the team. But just as far as how they created even strength, he's always proven himself to sort of be a cut above at least the other coaches in the AHL at creating offense. And then this year, for a change, uh, we also saw that on the defensive side of the puck. And um, sometimes in, in the past, his teams created a lot, but they also gave up a lot. And this year, he's sort of figured out what works at the professional level as far as the defensive game goes. And uh, it's been a joy to watch the Marlies. I don't know if you're aware, but they're arguably one of the best two or three defensive teams the AHL has ever had. Um, They they didn't give up anything this year. They had two great goalies in Picard and Sparks, but uh, they had the best penalty kill in the history of the league. They were at 93, 94% at times on the PK uh, and they just did an incredible job of preventing sort of scoring chances from happening in the slot. And he's really just done a marvelous job as far as details go at, at even strength. So I think what you can expect is a coach who really knows the details of the game and systems and, and how to sort of 
use his pieces to to create an effective team. And uh, the the one area where I think he probably needs to sort of work or maybe some help is on the power play. Well, if he wants to try and revive the Rangers defense and make Mark Stahl a viable hockey player again, by all means, I'd, I'd give him the key to the city <laughs> if he was able to pull that off. Uh, I, I believe the news today was Bill Peters is walking away from the Hurricanes. So that gives us the Rangers, the Flames, the Stars, and the Hurricanes with openings. And I, I, I would say it's safe to put the Capitals in there as well. I, I think it would take a very deep cup run for Barry Trotz to keep his job there. Is there an opening in your mind that stands out as, oh, man, if Keith can just go there, he's going to be something special? Um. I think Carolina certainly would fit that mold. Keith has proven himself to be a very sort of analytically uh, driven coach. He's dialed into the numbers and uh, tries to be as progressive as he can. And I think Carolina has a lot of staff there, or at least on this sort of stats and analytics side that have proven that um, they can do that effectively. It's a team that has played a really strong position game, but hasn't been able to sort of find that next year and turn shots into goals. Uh, so I would be fascinated to see what he could do with a team like that, where they already play a, a, a structured, effective game, but they just haven't been able to create the kind of chances they need to finish off plays. So um, I, I think that's a team that he could really make a difference in, but uh, I, I'm sure he wouldn't, he wouldn't be a bad fit for any of those teams, especially the rebuilding teams, just with his history with development and how dedicated he is to sort of individual one-on-one development. One of the big things that the Marley stress is sort of developing each player on their own plan. And there's no sort of one set plan for every player. And they build out a plan at the beginning of each year of what they want every player to accomplish and where they need to improve and that kind of thing. So a team like the Rangers would also be a good, fit in that sense because it sounds like they're really going to sort of at least try to to work out some kind of a rebuild so he'd be a good fit there I would imagine as well yeah James Dolan came out we're we're recording this on a Friday Dolan's comments came out about two days ago saying that he's putting the emphasis on a developmentally gifted coach uh, when it comes to whoever the next Rangers coach is going to be so those I think those words kind of nudged everyone a little bit everyone was already thinking Keith in New York but now everyone's even more in that direction. One of the things I think uh, some Ranger fans might have hesitation about is here's a guy that hasn't ever coached in the NHL. And you're going to ask to put him in arguably the biggest market in the United States. But at the same time, while he may not be in the NHL, I think you can make a case that Toronto is probably the most scrutinized market in the league. Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah. Toronto and Montreal are are probably neck and neck and, New York's probably not far off. So here's a guy, again, not NHL resume, but people care about the Marlies in Toronto. And how has he handled any and all questions that media might be able to throw at him? He he does come off as a little bit of a darling, so maybe they're not as hard on him as they would other coaches, but has he handled the Toronto media market in a way that is encouraging? Would Ranger fans have to be worried that maybe the New York market is too big for him? Uh, I think he's handled it pretty savvily. I think he's someone who um, sort of pays a really, cl- really close attention to it at the very least. Um, the Marlies are a team that I, I know they read a lot of what's written about them. There isn't a ton of coverage for the Marlies just because 
every all of the journalists in Toronto are so focused on sort of keying in on the Leafs, especially as the Leafs have gotten better. There was more focus on the Marlies when the Leafs were kind of in the dog days. So he has been able to fly under the radar a little bit in that sense. I'm one of the only journalists who covers the team uh, on a regular basis. So uh, there's normally only really two or three reporters there for most games. But um, as far as how he's handled it, he's great. I mean, he's he's not short and, and sort of blunt like a lot of NHL coaches are. And maybe that would get sort of beat out of him once he gets into a market like New York where there's a lot of pressure. But um, he'll talk for 10, 11, 12 minutes after games rather than two or three. And uh, he gives sort of thorough, thoughtful answers and he's articulate. And uh, he can be a very sort of heated individual. He's uh, kind of a hothead at times and uh, gets sort of two into games and, and is a very intense guy. And that goes back to the sort of controversial history that he has that I kind of mentioned. And he was scrutinized in that regard a lot when he was brought on originally three years ago, when everybody sort of started digging into his past with Mike Danton and uh, Frost and, and a lot of figures in the hockey world. I mean, these guys went to prison and uh, he, they were his sort of mentors. And he, I mean, there's all sorts of awful stories about things Sheldon Keefe did as a junior hockey player and things he did as a pro hockey player and the way he conducted himself and, um, obviously it took a guy like Kyle Dubas to say, Hey, we're going to give this guy a second shot and he wants to be a coach and he certainly knows the game extremely well. So we'll see what he can bring and hopefully he can put that pass behind him. But, um, there was certainly more scrutiny, scrutiny in the early days than there is now. And a lot of that has kind of faded. So I'm sure going to a place like New York would be a big wake up call. I don't, I personally am a little in the dark about it too. And I, I bet most Ranger fans are as well. What, what are some of the demons we're talking about here? So uh, it, it, it goes a long way back, but in the junior hockey landscape in the OHL, uh, Danton and Frost were a co One of them was a coach. The other wasn't like sort of a mega agent. Uh, and they sort of basically ran the Barry Colts, which is an OHL team. Uh, Sheldon Keefe was the captain and, they basically tried to light the league on fire and uh, refused to play by the rules. They were a dirty team. They got into trouble off the ice. Their players were arrested. Sheldon Keefe was caught with sort of naked photos of of some of his teammates in a sort of a hazing scandal. And um, he refused to shake the commissioner's hand. And then uh, eventually it got so serious that uh, there was a murder plot where. Uh, Danton and, and um, Frost ended up sort of breaking ties and, and one of them tried to commit murder on the other and ended up going to prison for many years. And, the world. Um, yeah, these were Sheldon Keefe's, they were his mentors. They were his, he, he spent his summers with them. He spent all of his time with them. He uh, once crashed an award banquet that the OHL hosted so that he could sort of tear it down and, and tear it apart. And um, there are just dozens of stories about him and, and his sort of his cohorts. And eventually when he, I mean, I mentioned earlier that he used to own a team. Eventually he went into ownership with Danton and Frost and they owned the team together. And um, this was while this whole scandal was happening. And 
Uh, they've all they've both been disgraced. Both Danton and Frost have been disgraced in the hockey community in Canada. And uh, obviously, Danton went to prison for many years. And um, yeah, it, it's just a sort of very dark legacy that Keith has done an incredible job of of putting behind him, but is still very much part of his story. And I mean, when you ask him about it, he he really doesn't like to talk about it, but. Um, he was in with a with a pretty bad crowd for a couple decades, and then it basically cost him his NHL career. He was a guy who was a, a top prospect, the leading scorer in the OHL, but because he was such a hothead, um, and ultimately because he he sort of created this aura for himself, he never made it in the NHL, and teams didn't want anything to do with him. So uh, he's really had to turn that perception of, of himself around. Oh, I was not expecting to uh, peel back the layers of that onion today. That is that that needs to be like a lifetime movie or something. That is incredible. Uh, yeah, it it really is almost out of a movie. That that is legitimately insane. Um, whoa, do you think? I I guess trying to move off that. Do you think it's a a when and not an if anymore as far as Sheldon Keith getting an NHL coaching job? Uh, yes. Yes, I absolutely think that. I think he has proven that he's an excellent coach. He's proven that he's uh, a great motivator of young players, that he knows the game. I mean, he ticks all of the boxes of what you want to see out of a junior hockey coach. And then he graduated to the AHL, and he's just continued to have success. And there really has never been a point in his coaching career where he has shown any sign that he wasn't very, very talented at what he's doing. So... Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's only a matter of time. I think it's unfortunate that the Leafs are invested as much as they are in Mike Babcock, not because Mike Babcock is a bad coach. I think Mike Babcock is a great coach, but just because it's the option for Keith to climb the ladder in Toronto. And I know he would love to do that. He's a local guy. He's now got a wife and kids and, um, he loves it in Toronto and I'm sure he would like to stay here, but just because Babcock has his guys and his assistant coaches and everything kind of seems set in stone with the Leafs. Even if Kyle Dubas becomes the GM this summer and Dubas and Keefe are, are best friends and have done this sort of journey together, uh, even if he becomes the GM this summer, which I think is a real possibility, I, I, I don't see a lane for Keefe to sort of take that step in Toronto, which means it's going to come somewhere else because he's, he's ready for that. So you don't think any chance that Babcock and Dubas sit down, Keith, and go, hey, man, look, I'm not as young as I used to be. I only see myself doing this X amount more years. If you can hang on, you can basically be the coach in waiting if you want. You don't think there's any chance that Babcock would ever do anything like that? I think if it's Dubas doing the pitch, then maybe just because of the unique relationship that they have. But um, Babcock still has either – correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I believe he has six years after this year. So uh, that's a long time to have to wait. And I'm not sure Keith, just because of his history of being in control and being the head coach is all that well suited to be an assistant. So uh, even if they were to move on from one of the assistants they have in Toronto, who they, they both like a lot as well. Uh, it, it just seems like a long time to wait. And the Marlies are in a unique position where they could probably pay Keith a lot of money to to stay on with the Marlies if that's what he wants to do and kind of play that waiting game and give him a salary that's a lot higher than your typical AHL coach. But 
Um, no, I, I think the lure of an NHL job in the next year or two is going to probably be too much. If you had to put a percentage chance on Sheldon Keefe, New York Rangers head coach, what, what odds would you give the Rangers? Well, I think if the Rangers are committed to having a coach who has proven it on the development side rather than a coach who has a sort of long-time history as an NHL coach, and we do know that there are a number of long-time NHL coaches who are available, but if they want to go with a new sort of fresh voice, I think you've got to give Keith extremely good odds. I don't know what that percentage would look like, but uh, he's got to be among the two or three top contenders. And as close as, like you said, you're one of the few reporters actually covering the Marlies on a nightly basis. You personally haven't heard any rumblings as of, well, Friday, have you? No, he's he's still signed for another, I believe, two seasons in Toronto after this. I mean, obviously, they would let him walk if they if he ever got a job that he wanted. Um, they want all of their guys to get promoted. That's what the AHL is all about. But uh, as far as the latest, no, I asked Keith about it when I did a story on him earlier in the year about him moving on. And he said, basically, I want to win a Calder Cup this year, and then I'm going to have to sit down and really reconsider my options in the summer, which was kind of a hint that, hey, maybe this is the end for me if we do well this year. And I'm sure right now he hasn't given it a ton of thought just because the Marlies are probably the odds-on favorite to win the Calder Cup. And I know that would be a, a huge deal for him and would also probably solidify him getting an NHL gig if they win it this year, which I think they probably will. Um, but no, the latest is just that he, he did say he was going to sort of really rethink it this summer. And that wasn't what he said last year. Last year, he was still sort of in the, I'm coming back to the Toronto Marlies for at least one more year mode. And I think that's beginning to change. Well, my offer still stands. If he becomes the Rangers head coach, he can have naming rights to my third kid. I I have no problem (laughs) giving him that kind of credit. Uh, Scott, before you go, we ask everyone that comes on this question, uh, is a hot dog a sandwich? Uh, No, no, the hot dog is not a sandwich. I would, we were doing so well. Probably. I would, I would probably argue that a, a sandwich. I don't know what the exact definition of a sandwich is, but I would probably argue that a hot dog doesn't qualify. Technically, it's a meat and condiments between a sliced bun or two pieces of bread. That's a hot dog. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Let's just not, don't get me started on uh, cookies versus meal cookies. <laughs> I'll do I'll do my best not to. Ryan Ryan would be thrilled that you said it's not a sandwich, but uh unfortunately he's not here, so it's tough tough for him. Uh plug yourself before you jump out of here. Uh just at we go on Twitter beats in Toronto, but I'm also basically primarily a NHL draft guy, so lots to come on that in the next couple of months as we prepare for the twenty eighteen draft. Got a piece coming out on Dowling what makes it special and that'll have my final draft ranking and probably sort of gearing up for Dallas and, and really looking forward to getting down to Dallas for the draft. Yep. That's a uh, future Ranger. Great. Rasmus Dahlien. When, once we rigged the draft and we're able to get him with the seventh or eighth best odds, I don't remember what we have. <laughs> uh, Scott really do appreciate you coming on. Uh, as Scott said, he is the go-to guy for anything Sheldon Keith. So if you, if anyone out there needs a good Sheldon Keith take directed towards Scott, tell him, we sent you, and then he can be angry at us for doing that. Scott, thank you so much for coming yeah. on. Good, good luck to the Marlies. Good luck to the Leafs. Hopefully we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon.
Cheers. Thanks. And we're back. I had a great time not being on that interview. Thanks, Greg. It was weird not. It was weird not having you there. It's the first time we've done something. One of us has done something solo, and uh, I I was un- unfortunately slash fortunately going to a show in Brooklyn to see my my dear beloved musician Jeff Rosenstock uh, on four twenty. So I had a great time. Sure, I have no idea who that is. He's a great. That was not a, that was not an invitation for you to tell me who it was. He's amazing. So sure, big fan. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna go to our five star questions. Let's do it. Uh, we have two. I think this is the last week of the segment. I thought, you said, I thought you, said, you said this last week, and I also thought you said you had three before we started podcasting. I did. I know, I, but I think we read M Dude or My Dude five nine nine last week. Yeah, we did. Okay, cool. So I have two, uh, and I said this was the last week we're doing it. But if you want to keep giving us five star reviews, I'm not going to say no. We'll probably we'll answer anything you put on there. But we're going to find a new way or a new something new to to mess around with next week. All right, so for right now we got uh, this one is the first one. It's Great Ranger Podcast, five stars. Okay, thank you. From DennyWise98, one of the better, if not the best, audio quality Rangers podcast out there. I was enjoy listening to YouTube in between or before college classes. Hot dog is a sandwich. Mm, my guy. Mm. Five star question. What do you think Brady Shea's next contract will look like? Is it $5 million over six years reasonable or is that an overpayment? That is an overpayment uh, in my eyes. Because Brady Shea took a step back this year, and you want uh, that's, that's still what he's worth. I think you can go lower and get him. I don't think you can. Really, I, I think if if you want to buy out free agent years, you have to overpay. That's just the cardinal rule. Um, I, you if don't, you, you don't think you can do four point five six? No. Why would he want to? If he if if he gets to the open market, he'd get way more than that, even with a poor year in his rear back rear back pocket. Mm, I think he could. Uh, I mean, I have nothing to back that up, but you. He's he's just, gonna if the Rangers want it, if the Rangers want years, he's gonna get paid. This just feels like a perfect buy low scenario. You don't buy low when you're you you don't get to buy low on years though. If you want to buy low, you have to bridge him, and bridging is the worst idea you could possibly have for Brady Shea. Yeah, I do know. If you if you want to take years off Brady Shea's free agent eligibility, it almost doesn't matter what he did last year. You have to pay out for the years that you are taking away from him. And that's, that's why he's going to get more than he's going to get at least $5 million. If the Rangers go long-term and if the Rangers don't go long-term, that's idiotic. And the Rangers will eventually pay for that. And it'll be much more than $5 million. Yeah. If Brady Shea gets bridge deal, we're having an emergency podcast. We're just going to be me screaming for 20 minutes. Uh, next and final five-star question of the day is by Phil up C and it's C like the ocean. So five star review. He says, "Good podcast for the Rangers news and hot takes." I mean, they're they're pretty hot, I guess. Thanks, Craig. Uh, I like when they bring on writers from other teams to get more educated opinions of players, prospect coaches. Uh, rest in peace, AV. Too soon? No, not too soon. We can keep saying that. Not soon enough. Not soon enough. Question: Who do you see the Rangers looking at for that number one or number two right-handed defenseman, assuming via trade? In Brooks's stud hunt article. He mentioned the New York Rangers giving up a nearly untouchable player for a top-pairing D, but I can't see New York Rangers trading Hayes or Kreider for Truba or Hamilton. What are your thoughts, and what D players would you target? Well, Dougie Hamilton has become a very popular player to discuss on Ranger Twitter, and I he's a, he's a darling of mine. 25-year-old has already proven to be a top-pairing defenseman, arguably one of the top five defensemen in the NHL last year. Um, the Flames have a desperate need for a top six winger. Uh, the Rangers have 
players that can fill that void. I think, to me, it makes more sense. This is not me saying that Dougie Hamilton is better than Eric Carlson, but it makes more sense for the Rangers to go after Dougie Hamilton for a number of reasons. One, uh, like we said, the age. Dougie is three years younger than Eric Carlson. Two, he is under contract for the next three years at five, uh, five and three quarters million, which is going to be well less than whoever ends up paying Eric Carlson after this season. Well, Eric Carlson will be eleven million. So yeah, yeah. So you're getting you're getting ninety percent of Eric Carlson right now That's for ninety percent. I mean, maybe eighty. Uh, Dougie Hamilton was better than Eric Carlson this year, and we're not even we're not even bringing up the fact that Eric Carlson has half a foot. Yeah, he does have half a foot. So you, whatever you're getting at Eric Carlson, age twenty eight and twenty nine, you also have to think of what you're getting Eric Carlson, age thirty three and thirty four. And I don't know if you want Eric Carlson, age 33 and 34. You, he might defy aging and will still be Eric Carlson for many he, years to he come. He just feels like that player that defies aging. It's, it would, I would feel a lot easier about that if he hadn't had so many foot injuries. We've seen what foot injuries do to defensemen firsthand. To anyone, really. Any, um, any athlete. Now, what a trade would look like to get Dougie Hamilton – you're giving up one of one of the Boston and the Tampa Bay picks. That that is just include it, forget it. Whichever one the Flames want, they're going to get. Uh, Matt Zuccarello is probably going the other way. I think that's safe to say. In my mind, it's hard to imagine the Rangers getting a deal done that doesn't involve Brett Howden. I I just I, I, that's just a feeling. I have there, no evidence to back it up and no evidence to say the Rangers would actually... I think the theme of today's trail. podcast is I have no evidence to back that up. Uh, but here's, here's the thing. When I say that the Rangers will likely have to trade Brett Howden, oh, uh, Greg, that goes against the entire rebuild. No, it doesn't. Because one, again, the player you're acquiring is 25 years old and under contract for a very long time. And two, you don't acquire all those assets to keep them. You acquire all those assets to give yourself the flexibility to make an impactful move for an impactful player like Dougie Hamilton. you Not every player the Rangers just acquired and not every pick the Rangers just acquired is meant to be a New York Ranger. No, Those picks are meant to give the Rangers flexibility and those prospects are meant to give the Rangers flexibility. Hayek gives the Rangers defensive flexibility. Howden gives the Rangers flexibility at center. These are guys that you can move to fill your desperate needs. And the Rangers' desperate need is at defense. And it will always be at defense until they somehow address it. And if the Rangers are going to do it by trade, Dougie Hamilton will cost less in trade than Eric Carlson. You're going to get a price guarantee on Hamilton. You're going to get guaranteed years on Hamilton. You're getting the younger player. It just makes it makes almost too much sense. If the Flames, who are stacked defensively, are going to do something ridiculous like hang Dougie Hamilton out there for teams to bid on him, I would be embarrassed if the Rangers weren't at the front of the line trying to acquire him. They have to be. I mean, that's our biggest need by a lot. So I just can't, if we didn't even make an offer, it would be really disappointing. And I'll, 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 I'll say this. Would I want the Rangers to trade Kevin Hayes for Dougie Hamilton? No, I, I, I wouldn't ideally. But if the Flames said this deal doesn't get done without Kevin Hayes, then Kevin Hayes is going to be a Calgary flame. Guess what, Kevin? You're going to have a great time in Calgary. Yeah. You'll, you'll enjoy it. Bill Peters will be there now. It's, it's a guy a, we talked about on the podcast last week has already signed with the Flames. He signed with the Flames already? Yep. The yeah. announcement was official today. I missed that. I'm sorry. 
Anyway, I wasn't on our hockey today. I should, usually am. Kind of trolling around. That's enough about me. Actually, let's talk more about me. Who the F is Bullshit Breakaway? Hmm. I don't have one. <laughs> I had you just, one. You just said that you wanted to talk more about you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was going to talk about some other things, and I just totally, you know, it's a terrible idea. I'm just ready. I, I, I'm going to think of a good one for next week, and I, I might tell one of my extravagant stories. Maybe I'll just tell one now. When I was younger, uh, and I was about, I think I was like 17, and I just got my car, I got invited over to a house. Uh, by a girl that I met through MySpace. Yes, this is all true. And turns out that girl's house was a foster home, and I was not told. So when I walked in, there were two ladies making uh, spaghetti for two gentlemen, and everyone was very uh, using some illegal drug substances. And I got in there, and I was like, is this your house? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, this is a weird place. And then as we were talking, her foster mother came home. And I went to the window, and when I went to open the window, there were bars on the window, Greg. Mm. Uh, turns out you can't escape foster home that easily. Hmm. So I had to uh, hide under the bed like a movie when the mother was, like, coming around screaming at some people, kicking some people out of the house. And then apparently she was home early from her Wendy's shift. Wendy's is a great establishment, by the way. I want to do a Wendy's episode soon. And uh, when she went to the bathroom, I had to run out of the house full full flesh as fast as I could. So that's how I got trapped in a foster home. Turns out they had bars in the window. Huh. Fun stuff. Interesting. Yeah, good times. Um, birthday stories. You were your dad <laughs> watching golf. Your, did your mom throw throw a cake? Uh, no. I think I've told those already. I, think, I really think. Um, I think I, this maybe maybe we'll do this. We'll retire. Who the f is Bushers Breakaway? And we'll bring it back for special occasions only. I'm just trying to think of. What my worst first date was. When you and I first met and we held hands. And that you, didn't happen. Okay. <laughs> um, let's this not, wasn't. Let's not do this, um, the, we're the best podcast. We can't. This is terrible podcasting. Do I don't that. think this, this might be my worst first date, but it, it wasn't all bad. The first half of it was actually pretty great. Uh, I met this girl. I believe it was a uh, plenty of fish. Meetup. Wow, a POF. Yeah, this, this, wow. this was, this was like three is, years. I've done some online dating in my day, and we've talked about this before. Plenty yeah. of fish is a cesspool. Yeah, th- th- this was three years ago, and I don't think I've been on it since. <laughs> um, it is bad. Sorry she, about anyone out there who's this Plenty of Fish. I feel very strongly about it. One of my coworkers in Savannah actually got married to the guy she met on Plenty of Fish. Let me tell you, that is weird. I, no, uh, I think you could be people on online dating and get married. Nah, she's weird. fucking weird. Like, okay, she's so the girl she's I would weird. expect to meet on Plenty of Fish. Okay. Like, I, I look at her, and as soon as she said, yeah, we met on Plenty of Fish, I was like, it makes sense. No, no, it all no, makes it sense. checks out now. Um, yeah, so go up to Charleston hang out with this girl. Uh, by the way, the Charleston, two-hour drive from Savannah. That is I, dedication, Craig. She, she, was, she, was, she was a cutie patootie. Um, first part of the date, everything went great. We, uh, we, had, we, got some, we got some lunch. We played some cornhole against uh, some creepy old guys. At the bar we got lunch at, Man, we then uh, snuck on a beach with a lot of beers and drank until the tide went out. Dude, this sounds like a perfect date. It was great. Uh, went back to her place. Uh, shenanigans ensued. Oh, great job. Things, are, things are going well. Congrats. After the shenanigans ensued, it started going downhill. Oh, man, you fucked up. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. It's not her fault. It's me. It's 100% me. Um, 
I I uh, I had another drink, and that drink was the drink too many. Oh, you went overboard. And then not only did I have the drink, we started smoking. Oh no! And it it got it got ugly for the kid. I I things started spinning that shouldn't have been spinning. Oh, I started throwing up a lot of places I shouldn't have been throwing up. Uh, oh, I very much killed the Greg. vibe. You ruined, a, you ruined a perfect day for one more drink. I, I, re- I really did. That oh, that last man. drink was killer. Oh, oh it was terrible. That's yeah, a brutal so, one because you ruined that one forever. It was like, that was that could have been a nice. Yeah, no, no, we have not, we have not talked since. No, no, <laughs> I know, I know exactly what I did, and yeah. I'm like, I'm. I, I would just send a text the next day. I just said, yep. <laughs> nope, didn't even send it. I think I deleted her number from my phone. I was like, I've uh, that bridge is burnt. I've been If she if she texts me, that's great. She's not going to. I'm getting rid of this number, so I'm not even te- tempted. Yeah, I ended up sleeping it. on the couch. Uh, as soon as the second I got sober, I just packed my shit and left. Yeah, like, that, I was. That I was, was out. Honestly, the correct move. Yeah, I I felt oh, it was such a fun day too. Like it it was so weird because we were we were feeling the right buzz. Like we ended up outside of some weird dojo and they were doing this like outdoor black belt ceremony right and every all the families are standing there like this is such a tv sitcom episode just so yeah the two of us are standing in the background like huh this is a thing this is interesting uh and then yeah 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 i uh i i fucked i fucked up i I done did fuck up yep all right well that's been who the episode breakaway a retired segment we're gonna come up some new new segments this week we're gonna brainstorm new stuff how about that get get Mm. fresh for the summer Mm. spring's here we're springing into action uh, I don't think I have anything else, Greg. You done? I'm done. <sighs> yeah, yeah. We'll we're, save we're we'll good. save other stuff for the Patreon extra. Yeah. All right. We love you guys. We'll be back next week. Oh, and if you're listening to this, we'll be on some other podcast later this week that might also cover the Rangers. And we're gonna be back. We're, we're talking tomorrow night. What are you talking about? We got another bonus oh, yeah. episode we're, coming out. Yeah, we're coming to the bonus episode tomorrow, I guess, about the NFL draft that I don't really care about, but I'll be on. And then uh, we're going to the garden. Be more, be more excited, man. I fucking hate the NFL, and but I'll I'll have opinions and all that because I somehow fucking do. And uh, and we'll be on the garden faithful with with uh, our friend, our good friend Brian Wotanik. So look for us there. It'll be a real. We're, it'll be just like an episode of Bullshit Breakaway. I promise. We're ta- we're taking over. Yeah, we're just it's going a lot of big recording week for us. Sorry, I was like a little bit out of it today. I noticed as I was going through the podcast, like I don't have my usual chipmunk energy. But uh, and my takes were shitty. So thanks for listening. I love you guys. And we'll talk to you next week. For out.